Welcome back to another episode of the IFC's Individuation Podcast. My name is James Malamus. We've got a great episode for you. Today, we welcome back Dr. Eric Tomlinson and Dr. Lisa Hong, this time to discuss archetypal symbols and fairy tales, the archetype shadow, the image of the unseen and unheard. It's a great discussion. We can't wait for you to hear it. There's also information about the upcoming third annual IFC conference. Be sure to listen to find out more information. If you enjoy the IFC's Individuation Podcast and want to support, make sure to rate the podcast five stars on iTunes and wherever you get your podcasts. So without any further ado, Dr. Osamai, take it away. Welcome to another episode of the IFC's Individuation Podcast. I'm Dr. La Bell Samurai, and with me is the usual gang. Lisa, Dr. Lisa Hong is with us, and Dr. Eric Tomlinson, who's pointing, and this is a podcast is also with us. You could see that on our YouTube channel, just for those. Anyway, so we get back to talking about Mary Louise von Franz's archetypal symbols in fairy tales. Before that, we wanted to start out with just a brief vignette, talk about our upcoming conference at the Institute for Conflict. We are having a conference we, on the 14th, 15th, and 16th of October. This is our annual conference. Um, Usually this is our third uh, annual conference. We will have it on Zoom and uh, some of it will be uh, live for those who would come and participate. Uh, Of course, if you're vaccinated, um, it makes it easier than if you're not. Um, so just a couple of things. If you're interested, please call us or get in touch with us through www.instituteforconflict.com um, or you could um, email us at instituteforconflict.gmail.com. Uh, we're happy to respond to uh, any questions, queries, or requests um, that we can uh, one of the things that we are going to cover in the conference is young and advanced border processing. And we're going to talk about different aspects of the treatment. One aspect, we're going to have clients who uh, are going to present on their experiences with the treatment. So it's kind of a new twist. You know, usually when you have these type of conferences, it's all the scholars or the people who do the work or the people who study or research. Uh, we actually wanted to bring in a different component. We wanted the people who had the experience with this treatment to talk about the treatment and how it's affected them um, and how it's affected um, their life. So that is one of the things that we're going to talk about. Where it's also, uh, the conference is called the Undus Mundus, the One World Theory, right? And so this is Young's theory, um, about um, one world, one world meaning that um, we are all interconnected. We're all pieces of a puzzle. Uh, We do not stand out as independent pieces in the world. We're actually a mosaic of pieces that fit together very well in the world. And um, with this, we're gonna talk about um, quantum physics and how quantum physics and depth psychology interact and how we understand one world theory through quantum physics and quantum dynamics. So we're not gonna get to 
elaborate or we're gonna talk about uh, quantum theory as much. We're gonna break it down into a comprehensible, um, understandable, um, workable uh, theory for people to kind of think about, reflect. Why is that important? Because it changes everything. It changes the way we view ourselves in the world. Understanding this theory shows us how uh, unique at the same time we are an integral part of a map of connections in this world and beyond. And that's what that makes us kind of really humble that we are so tiny in this world at the same time that um, makes us special because we uh, are part of this map, you know, and that we know that we're part of this map. So uh, without further ado, I'm gonna have uh, Dr. Lisa Hung kind of uh, talk about what she's been thinking about in terms of the conference. She is joining us for our second conference uh, with her. She's, uh, she participated, she was great in our second conference. And now in the third conference, she is gonna be hopefully presenting. Um, but without further ado, Dr. Lisa Hong. Hi. Yeah, I think this conference is uh, for anyone and everyone who is interested in learning more about the JAMP process, learning about outcomes, learning about the measures, about the statistics, and just people who are curious, people who have no idea of what it is that we're talking about, but something sparks and resonates and wants to keep listening. Um, people who are who have studied uh, depth psychology for quite some time, in particular in Jungian philosophies, people who are new to Jungian philosophies, but just kind of feel like this is making sense to me. I like to explore and understand more about myself and others around me. Um, this is this is for you, for everyone. Uh, so we welcome you to join us in a couple of weeks. Thank you, uh, Dr. Hong. So uh, we're inviting all of you to join us, but those who, as uh, Dr. Hong said, those, are you, those of you who are interested in psychology or mental health or social work or uh, physics or um, anything that pertains to the human condition, we're gonna be covering that. We're gonna be talking about what it is to be human, what it is to, um, understand and provide a new form of treatment, how uh, we explain this treatment, how um, our clients understand and um, feel better uh, because of the treatment. And that's what we're trying to get a message out and conversation, get a conversation going, as well as a message uh, about trauma treatment because it's so complicated and so difficult for so many people. And uh, we're gonna boil it down. We're gonna boil these things down to show how you could work with them without uh, needing to go to years and years of treatment. Um, uh, Dr. Eric Tomlinson, uh, Dr. Tomlinson, tell us about what you are thinking about during the conference, what you're going to be doing. I think you're going to be presenting also, if I understand correctly. Um, 
Yes. Uh, what, are, what are you going to be presenting on? I'm really excited about it. I'm looking forward to coming. I'm flying all the way in from Florida. Uh, I think Lahab's. Uh, I think Lahab's got me a place to stay up in a giant sequoia tree somewhere. So I haven't figured out how I'm going to work that out yet. But, but I'm looking forward to that too because I love giant sequoias. <laughs> Welcome to the Northwest. Yes, I mean we all live in trees, bro. Oh, it's one of my favorite trees. Okay, well, just letting you know, we all live in trees. <laughs> but but uh, two things strike me about it about the conference. One is I'm thrilled that we're going to be hearing from participants who've actually gone through the treatment and have been uh, significantly and 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 in many cases profoundly affected by not only the efficacy of the treatment, but the speed at which the treatment has worked with them. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to, to hearing their stories because there's nothing more powerful than hearing about a changed life, when, especially when you know what the treatment is doing to bring that about. So one of the things that I'm gonna be talking about there, and I'm very, it is, is the is how jamp well first of all how trauma damages and negatively affects the functioning of our brain and number two how jamp restores that functioning and this isn't just my personal opinion this is going to be from from medical journals peer-reviewed studies that show exactly what jamp does and it's just very powerful to see that there's literal physical medical evidence to support all the things that Dr. Lahab and others and, and, and the rest of us have been proclaiming for some time. It's, it's not just a, you know, it's not just a general theory that popped out of nowhere. It's got real evidence behind it. And I'm very grateful to Dr. Lahab for even for even wanting to that to be explored because a lot of people shy away from it. And so I'm very grateful, Dr. Lahab, that you're, that you want to show some of that peer reviewed medical evidence to support the very statements that we're making about JAMP. I think it's very powerful. So thank you. So uh, thank you, Dr. Eric. Um, Can I say one more yeah, thing? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That you I'm sorry, up? I didn't know you were not finished. Go for it. Well, well I, I led you to believe that by not continuing talking, exactly. but you, you brought up one more thing that I thought I find very, very intriguing and interesting, and that's the idea of qu the quantum world. Because, <clears throat> and it's all about energy. The quantum world is all about energy. And what I view trauma doing, this is just my own personal view, I view trauma as displacing that energy in, in, in us, brain and body. And I see JAMP as replacing and realigning that energy in our mind and body. And, and that's, that's a very powerful component to add to, to this... Um, you know, to this gathering, because, because a lot of times we don't think about it like that. And once you discover that and explore that and explain it a little bit, it brings some of the unknown elements of what's going on in our mind and body into a 
reality that you can touch in a way that you've never been able to touch before. So thank you for that component as well, sir. Okay, thank you, Dr. Eric. So uh, at the conference, we're gonna be discussing um, um, how young advanced motor processing works, how we can understand it. We can understand it from a neurobiological level. We can understand it uh, from a depth psychological perspective and the complexes and the archetypes. We're also gonna be presenting our uh, first study of 20 participants who have gone through uh, the JAM treatment. And we're gonna be talking about each, um, what the, um, the numbers show, how we did the study, how we uh, thought about the study, how we collected the data for the study and what the data shows in regards to the treatment itself. We like to think of uh, a young advanced motor processing, um, and we like to work from a perspective of um, evidence-based um, research and treatment. So we are not um, creating things that you know, there's nothing wrong with that, but we have we have based this treatment into uh, an evidence-based treatment. This is not a, um, a, a treatment that does not have numbers behind it. We are collecting numbers as we speak. We collect um, more and more data as we have more and more clients. So uh, without further ado, we kind of, uh, we wanted to introduce that and we hope to see all of you at the 14, on the 14, 15 and 16, of this month. I hope you all join us. Um, so we're gonna go back to archetypal symbols and fairy tales. And uh, we're gonna do uh, the neighbor underground. Um, it's, uh, we're back into the image of the demonic sun and uh, the shadow. So Dr. Eric, without further ado, why don't you start and uh, start telling us the story? I'd be happy to. Once upon a time, there was a peasant who lived in Telemarkin, and he had a big farm. Yet he had nothing but bad luck with his cattle, and at last lost his house and holding. He had scarcely anything left, and with the little he had, he bought a bit of land that lay off to one side, far away from the city, in the wildwood and the wilderness. One day, as he was passing through his farmyard, he met a man. Good day, neighbor, said the man. Good day, said the peasant. I thought I was all alone here. Are you a neighbor of mine? You can see my homestead over yonder, said the man. It is not far from your own. And there lay a farm holding such as he had never seen. Handsome and prosperous and in fine condition. Then he knew very well that this must be one of the underground people, yet he had no fear, but invited his neighbor in to drink a glass with him, and the neighbor seemed to enjoy it. Listen, said the neighbor, there is one thing you must do for me as a favor. Well, first, let me know what it is, said the peasant. Said the peasant. You must shift your cow stable because it is in my way, was the answer he gave the that he gave the peasant. 
No, I'll not do that, said the peasant. I put it up only this summer and the winter is coming on. What am I to do with my cattle then? We'll do as you choose, but if you do not tear it down, you'll live to regret it, said his neighbor. And with that, he went on his way. The peasant was surprised at this. He did not know what to do. It seemed quite foolish to him to start in to tear down his stable when the long winter night was approaching. And besides, he could not count on help. One day as he was standing in his, in his stable, he sank through the ground. Down below in the place to which he had come, everything was unspeakably handsome. There was nothing which was not of gold or silver or of silver. And then the man who called himself his neighbor came along and bade him sit down. After a time, food was brought in on a silver platter and beer in a silver jug. And the neighbor invited him to draw up to the table and eat. The peasant did not dare refuse and sat down at the table. But just as he was about to dip his spoon into the dish, something fell down into his food from above so that he lost his appetite. Yes, yes, said the man. Now you can see why we don't like your stable. We can never eat in peace. For as soon as we sit down to a meal, dirt and straw fall down. And no matter how hungry we may be, we lose our appetites and cannot eat. But if you will do me the favor of setting up your stable elsewhere, you shall never go short of pasture nor good crops, no matter how old you may grow to be. But if you won't, you shall know nothing but lean years all of your life long. When the peasant heard that, he went right to work pulling down his stable to put it up again in another place. Yet, he could not have worked alone, for at night, when all slept, the building of the new stable went forward just as it did by day, and well he knew his neighbor was helping him. Nor did he regret it later, for he had enough of feed and corn, and his cattle waxed fat. Once there was a year of scarcity, and feed was so short that he was thinking or, of selling or slaughtering half his herd. But one morning when the milkmaid went into the stable, the dog was gone and with him all the cows and the calves. She began to cry and told the peasant, but he thought to himself that it was probably his neighbor's doing who had taken the cattle to pasture. And sure enough, so it was. For towards spring, when the woods grew green, he saw the dog come along, barking and leaping by the edge of the forest and after him followed all the cows and calves and the whole herd was so fat, it was a pleasure to look at it. So ends the story. Dr. Lahab, I'm not, I can't hear you. Sorry about that. I had me, okay. uh, myself on mute, so I didn't disturb you. Um, so um, do you have any thoughts you wanted to share about the story, Dr. Eric? Well, one of the things, and this was going to be a question for you later, because sure. I know you'll sure. have an answer to it. Um, 
oftentimes the demonic son is oftentimes they're portrayed as older people just like this neighbor was or animals or uh low low you know low socioeconomic uh and of the earth and and oftentimes they have a real dark negative side to them as well as a giving side but in this case this this demonic son wasn't really all that bad uh i mean he, he we didn't see a a real deep dark side to him like we will in some of the other demonic son stories and i was just kind of curious as to if that means anything or not so uh von franz says that here the shadow is the neighbor underground his nature portrayed as being a threatening and as sometimes as a gift bestowing companion spirit he lives under the barn under the animals he's an earth spirit from the wild forest who demands submission in a bossy way but when he is graciously accommodated, he invisibly protects the farmer's animals. Since the shadow is psychologically linked to the instinct world, this is illustrated by the presence of farm animals in the tale. In many accounts, he carries less ghostly traits, however, appears more as a companion with inferior humanity, not only in the sense of a lesser person, but rather as an individual in an early stage of development, sometimes the shadow appears as the historical older person or an animal human form, often in the figure of an animal that embodies in the world of natural impulses and instincts. The shadow, an image of incomplete and in some ways inferior parts of personality, is bound to earth to nature. Contact with the shadow is for more most people, the first encounter along the hallway of the unconscious. Young writes about the shadows, what he says, quote, the meeting with oneself is initially the meeting with one's own shadow. The shadow is a tight passage, narrow door whose painful constriction, no one is spared who goes down deep into a well but one must learn to know oneself in order to know who one is. For what comes after the door is surprisingly enough, a boundless expanse full of unprecedented uncertainty with apparently no inside and no outside, no above, no below, no here and no there, no mine and no thine no good and no bad. It is the world of water where all life floats in uh, suspension, where the realm of the sympathetic system, the soul of everything, living begins, where I am indivis indivisibly this and that, where I experience the other in myself and the other than myself experiences me. Well, that kind of gives me a little bit of a hint, Lisa and Dr. Lahab. I, I, I was wondering if my thinking's right about this. Maybe the reason the shadow here, the demonic son, what didn't have to fight him so bad is because 
the peasant was relatively open to exploring his unconscious. Is that a possibility? Or the peasant was in uh, a developmental state where they have not been able to construct a strong enough ego to be in consciousness. You need a stable ego. And when you're developmentally behind, the stability of the ego is also behind. Another word could be sophistication. Well, so the ego's expansion is awareness. Mm -hmm. The ego's stability and expansion is awareness. The more the ego is able to take, the more the ego able the ego to grow. The more you could take in experiences, the more you could take in conflicts, the more you're able to um, strengthen that part of you that says, I, I can, the more you're able to say, I can, the bigger your ego is, the bigger the ego, that means the expansion of consciousness. That means that I can find myself at fault. I can see what's wrong with me. I can reflect on self. I can't do that if I don't have that ability, if I don't have that stability, if I don't have that awareness of consciousness. And it's about awareness of consciousness that helps us grow. <clears throat> the ego also needs to be um, uh, acknowledged, thanked, congratulated. Um, and we're not talking about like massaging or patting an ego. We're talking about building an ego. So if we think about it developmentally with a kid, with any child, who's playing, you know, they're playing outside. Look what I could do. You go, oh, wow, that's amazing. What you are doing is you are feeding that piece of the child that needs to grow so the child can grow. The child needs to feel um, exceptional, needs to feel that enthusiasm, needs to feel that positive energy to be able to create their own, you know? So if that child is constantly put down or told they're stupid or they're contradicted or they're uh, physically or emotionally or mentally abused, they cannot function, the ego fragments. <clears throat> so are we watching this? Am I good, am I bad? Yeah. So are, we, so are we watching this peasant grow and develop in this story right before our eyes a little bit? Well, he, he, is, he is in contact with light. There's something coming to him that is giving him more understanding of the world. We can never eat in peace for as soon as we sit down to a meal, dirt and straw fall down. No matter how hungry we may be, we lose our appetites and cannot eat. But if you will do me the favor of setting up your stable elsewhere, you shall never go short of pasture nor good crops, no matter how old you may grow to be. But if you won't, you shall not not, but lean years all your life long. When the peasant heard that, he went right to work pulling down the stable. 
to put it up again in another place. Okay, so that's the first. He's able to do that. Yeah. Expansion of awareness. Yes. I have the ability to put it up elsewhere. It's, it's, a, it's a very simple thing. And at the same time, it's a dagger in your side. <laughs> because your ego at once needs to acknowledge that it has to do something different so you can be able to do um, something different with your life. But at the same time, the ego is being told that you cannot be here. Yeah, that's a really good point, uh, Dr. Lahab and Lisa, because I heard somebody tell me something you, probably 30, 40 years ago, and I've never forgotten it. And that is just because something is simple to do does not mean it's easy. Ooh. And he, he said, it's simple. The process, a simple process is just it, you're standing at the cliff edge of a cliff at the Grand Canyon. It's a simple process to just take a, one step forward and drop, but it's not an easy thing to do. <laughs> I've never forgotten that. Yeah, so uh, in, a, in a lot of ways, um, our ability to uh, overcome um, our own defensiveness is an expansion of our awareness. Because you have to face that which says no within you to be able to move forward with yes. You cannot move forward with yes if what says no in you keeps gnawing at you. You will make promises, but you really can't go through with it. You're always on the edge. You're always being pushed back. You want to say yes. I really want to say yes, you say. I really, really want to go with it, but I, I don't know how. You're stuck. You're held back. And usually there are issues, self-doubt, self-blame, lack of confidence. But then you ask, what is lack of confidence? Lack of confidence means that my ego is not strong enough to withstand me extending myself because I'm afraid. Mm. And therefore lack of confidence kicks in because of fear. And therefore, the expansion of the ego takes a crash. And it almost goes in a different direction. So if you think of ego as energy, as the energy to be able to do, the energy to be able to walk and go through life and face challenges and be able to continue without surrendering because there were challenges along the way. This is a long journey. And we face many challenges. That expands and grows the ego, expands and grows the energy that says, this is me, I'm okay, I don't care. I walk through. Instead of, do you know who I am? So that also shows that the ego is not stable when you say, do you know who I am? If you know who you are, you don't need to say it. If you say it, you don't know who you are. You don't need to ask others who you are. 
You need to know who you are. And I'm not talking about you forgetting your ID and you're going to work and you're talking to the guard. I'm talking about that voice in your head. Always with us through life, we face difficult tasks. And the only way to overcome them, as Dr. Eric says, is to take a step into the unknown. Not off a cliff, though, but <laughs> into the unknown. Because each of the steps that we take into the unknown gives us more and more power and self-belief. And power not in like the ability to destroy things, but power in knowing that we are who we are and we can move forward from where we are. We're not stuck. Yes, absolutely. Lisa, thoughts? Yeah, mostly I'm just listening and processing and yeah. 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 It's just the idea of it, because what I was thinking was the idea of how we are in the world, how we present ourselves in the world. How do we see ourselves in the world? How do we walk through this world? Are we constantly in doubt? Are we constantly in question? Are you talking to me? Are we always asking this question? Are we afraid of who we are? Because we don't know who we are. Because we don't know our capacity. We don't know our potential because we don't know our limits. <clears throat> this story, when he says, the, when, uh, when Franz tells us the fairy tale, she says, here the shadow and the neighbor underground is nature portrayed as being a threatening and sometimes as a gift bestowing companion spirit. He lives under the barn, under the, under the animals. He is in the earth spirit for the wild forest who demands submission in a bossy way. A spirit, an energy that lives, that is shadow. Just like the ego is energy that lives, shadow is energy that lives. And is charged emotionally. So the complexes are charged emotional fields that are tied up into pieces of shards of emotional trauma that have an emotional connection. I can't believe it. That emotional connection holds that energy in place. And when it holds it in place, what happens is that voice comes back over and over again. It's fragmented and it's in the back of your head because you can't see it. That's why we see it back of your head. And it comes out. I'm scared. I don't care. I'm angry. I'm upset. What is that? All of these are like tied up 
and holding an emotional peace because of the trauma. As these pieces start to loosen up and we break them free by using jamp, what happens is the energy, as we know from thermodynamics, is neither created nor destroyed, stays. But what it stays as is different from what it was. Before it was whole, held by this emotion. This spirit that broke off into a lot of pieces. It's an emotional spirit. It holds it. And it pings it against you. Ping, ping, ping. But she did that. But she did that. But she did that. But he did that. But he, and it keeps pinging. And so what Young Invest Motor Processing does is it releases it from, but they did that. It releases it from those words. Once the energy is released, it comes back and reintegrates. Thus, the pattern breaks up. Because I'm responding, the pattern is always created because I'm responding to this, this ting. It's almost like a chime that goes, this gnawing voice, this ache, this irritation, this anxiety, this fear, um, this anger. Dr. Lahab. Yeah. One thing that I always think about when I think about traumatic energy or the energy that results from trauma, from trauma effects, and I'm glad you brought up that that energy is not destroyed. And because we think we can block it out, we think we can compartmentalize it, we think we can, you, you know, say a few Hail Marys and it's gone or whatever, and it doesn't leave. It's traumatic energy is like a shape shifter. It constantly shifts into other shapes that we don't initially recognize. And that's why we get confused by it and beat up by it because we're not seeing it as the same energy that came out of when we were traumatized. It yeah. Has, yeah. It has a new look to it now. Yes, because it's been disassociated. And when the energy, when that traumatic event happens, this is why Young talks about feeling tone complex. It has a, there's a, there's a feeling tone of a trigger. When it, when it triggers, there's a feeling tone of the way I am being held by it. Because it's disassociated, it's a shapeshifter because I can't see it. And therefore, I don't know it but it still has a pattern. Yes. Even though you can't see it, it still has a pattern. And the pattern is, is the way you react to it. That's the pattern. The pattern is that you don't have to worry about what it's saying to you. Maybe you don't know. Maybe it's just a feeling state. Maybe you're just irritated. Maybe you're just angry. Maybe you're just not into it today. That's not 
how you're going to know. What you're going to know is what you do when that happens. That's how you could know that you are in the grips of this feeling state because you're constantly trying to feel better about whatever is going on. And you're always talking to it. And you're always saying it's me, but it's not you. And that's what it's a feeling, it's a thought, it's a piece, it's a it's a word. Wow. That holds the energy. It holds it and it holds it in place. So think if there was a trauma in front of you, two uh trains collide, and you said the first thing you said, wow. The first thing that goes is wow, wow goes in. So you're held by this wow. So if somebody says, wow, this is a trigger for you, you don't know because it touched that piece. And when that piece is touched, it electrifies the field. And the entire field, the entire complex is electrified now. And I can't react now. I don't know what's going on. All they said was, wow. All I said was, wow. Sorry, Dr. Go ahead. No, 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 I, no, I'm, I'm glad you finished your thought. I, I was just saying on a, I was going to say on a practical level, this is why we need close relationships with people who are, who can understand us because oftentimes they see what this shape shifter really looks like when we're seeing it as something completely different. There's a once again, there's a wonderful st original Star Trek episode where the doctor, there was a shapeshifter on a planet, and the doctor kept seeing the shapeshifter as, as an old lost love of his. Ooh. And later on, Kirk was able to see it as of the monster that it really was. <laughs> but they well, couldn't they couldn't convince the doctor that it was anything other than his loved one. Because because we all see our shadow in a different way. Yes. So they all saw a different side of their shadow. Yes. Yeah. And that's always the case. When you talk about your shadow and the way you fear your shadow is not the way I see my shadow. And so when we reflect on um, trauma, and I'd like to think of this idea of shapeshifter. I'm not sure I agree with it, but I, I'll, I'll think about it. Um, it is a shapeshifter in terms of, I don't know what that voice is or where it comes from and why it has so much power. It does have that power. Yet that voice is pretty consistent. That pain is pretty consistent. That irritation is pretty consistent. Um, the depth that it goes to, I think this is where the shapeshifter comes in. The depth that it started at, what, whatever it started and looked like at the beginning, it no longer looks like that. It's yeah. transformed That's into right. something very different, mm -hmm. very chronic. Yeah. So it could be that negative voice that puts you down. You're stupid. Yeah. It's very, very destructive, by the way. 
to everybody who's listening. Very, very disruptive. Do not say that to yourself. It's like taking a hammer to one of your fingers. Do not do that. It's not okay. You are a human being on this planet and you basically occupy the number one part of the evolutionary scale at this point. You are dominant. So to call yourself stupid is not reality. You call yourself other things, but stupid, not a reality. That's really a good point. Unnecessary. Unnecessary to take out to take out emotional pain on yourself. It does not let you feel better. It just doesn't doesn't make you feel better. You feel worse, actually. You start to believe what you're saying to yourself. The more you repeat it, the more you start to believe it. You know, this is part of the thing that we use. We use affirmations for this purpose. What we try to do is try to change the conversation into a positive. And take away from these negative ideas and states of being because of the trauma. Because of the way the trauma has changed my existence in the world. Now, sometimes what happens with trauma is that you basically, so you're traumatized when you see people dying of hunger and you end up working for an NGO and having your own NGO and you feed people. So you've been able to sublimate the trauma. You've been able to work through it, through the work that you do. That does not mean that the trauma doesn't still gnaw at you. because parts of it are still disassociated. Part of the fear, part of the anger, part of the sadness, part of the feelings of empathy that you sense that other human beings on this planet did not have towards these people. That's all energy. That's all energy and it's emotionally charged energy. So when we think of energy for human beings, we think of emotional charged energy, energy to get up in the morning, energy to run, energy to play, energy to love, energy to hate, energy to create, energy to tell stories, energy to write, energy to work. This is emotional energy. And when you say I am lost or I am completely out of energy, what you are saying is basically you have charged it to such a degree that you've just tired yourself out. You've charged yourself at the same time. You've basically exhausted yourself. And then we start talking about depletion of energy, but it doesn't deplete. What happens is it doesn't have the charge anymore. You've overused it. So just some of the ideas of what happens and when we're thinking of what lies beneath, what lies beneath is us. So Young says, the most terrifying person that we meet is us. 
that's the most terrifying person we meet. Oh, I didn't know I could do that. Oh, I didn't know that was in me. Oh, that was me? I get that? I can't believe I would do that. Yeah. That wasn't me. I wasn't myself. Most terrifying person. But if you say shadow, shadow is you. It's not somebody else's shadow you're looking at. You're not looking for shadows out there. It's you. It's just a part of you you're not really aware of, or you act like other people are not aware of it. Oh, I'd never do that. Did I say that? No can't be you misheard you missaw your eyes light you but dr lahab and lisa the alcohol made me do it i don't do that if i'm not full of alcohol well that just means that the the, the shadow the shadow is able to take over whenever i am inebriated the veil was thinned the veil was thinned i like that that's the exactly right. Thin. It does thin the veil. Alcohol has always thinned the veil. I mean, it's, uh, in, in the old days, you wouldn't have a meeting unless everybody drank and you listened to everybody's story, just in case. You know, very tough. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> just in case they're lying. Because then you'll know when they're lying. Then you'll know because they'll trip up. Well, and he even offered the shadow beer. He had him come in and drink beer with him. Well, that's why they used to offer drink. If you drink with them, then it's like, okay, then you have nothing to hide. Because when you lose, when you lose that ability for the ego defense and your instincts arise, when the shadow takes hold, is the shadow going to put you in jeopardy? Is it going to say something to the other person that's going to show your hand? No. I don't know if you've seen these tournaments in Vegas where they have like sunglasses on. They try not to move their fingers. They hold their cards. They try not to like give a tell. Right. But their energy is the tell. Yes, it is. It's not your body. It's your presence. That's the tell. That's always the tell. People read your energy. They might not know that they're reading your energy. They might be oblivious to that idea. They might say, oh, this feels weird. Or I'm irritated. They might know, they might not know it's your energy or what to say. They think it's theirs. A lot of people will talk about it as if it's theirs yeah i just knew he was bluffing yes i just knew i just knew how did you know i just knew what they're doing is they're basically the energy is telling them what the other person is doing they're just open to it but this is always the case it's always the case the energy is what tells other people about us well how does it do that because it's emotionally charged 
It's emotionally charged. I'm worried. Oh, that's weird. I'm feeling worried. Why am I feeling worried? Because I'm worried and I'm sitting next to you and I haven't said anything. So my worry, this emotional charge is going through and you're sitting there going, now I'm worried. Why am I worried? Well, that's because I was worried. It's you, you enter a lot of places. You're like, eh, the mood's not right. Mood? Really? What, what does that mean? The energy's off. Therefore, my mood is not right. Something is telling me, get out, leave. There were certain people like uh, when we were in college, there were certain people I would not go out with because I know um, at a certain point that something bad would happen because they lose all inhibition and the shadow comes out in weird ways. I enjoyed it when we sat in groups and it was safe for them to be, but in public or in a bar setting is dangerous because everybody else's shadows on the loose. <laughs> it's not a good place to let loose, especially in Chicago. And the sports channels are those, those uh, commentators are always saying when they're referring to professional athletes or college level athletes, they're always saying, look, when this happened, it's always one, two, three, four o'clock in the morning. It doesn't happen at eight or nine. It happens after midnight. When these guys get in big trouble. Shadow comes out. Look, you're strong, you're young, you have money. You can do anything you want. What do you want to do? Let's get in trouble. <laughs> what do you want to do? Let's get in trouble. <clears throat> I really want to get in trouble. I'm thinking um, a bar in Texas. Yep, that sounds like trouble. Okay. I mean, this is... Um, When your self-insight, when your ability to see yourself um, is mirrored to you in a very specific or um, tailored way, this is who you are. And you believe that story, you're in trouble. because that's a fiction, whether you wrote it or somebody else wrote it for you or somebody else, that's a fiction. And that fiction is gonna get you in all kinds of trouble because there's a depth to you that you have dissociated from. A lot of these kids come from situations where they're very difficult. And so there's an unconscious pull back into uh, places where I can get in real trouble. And it's usually after big contract signings, 
a big win, uh, a celebration of a trophy, something like that. But yeah, so the shadow, what we look at, what we see, who are we? You know, because always remember, as Young said, the shadow is not without. And if it's without, it's within. And if it's within, it's mine. How does he say, I just wanted to make sure I don't, he made it very, very, um, Dr. Lisa, you're quiet today. Yeah, I was just gonna share something real quick. Yeah. Right? In in the whole, um, I'm just making a, an analogy with life circumstances. You know, when you're sick, you don't know what's wrong. You go to a doc doctor, what's wrong with me? Well, yeah, I'm not really, I think this is what it looks like. And you try this out and it doesn't fit. Symptoms are maybe change a little bit, but the treatment doesn't work. You go to another doctor, doctor, this is what's going on. What is this? Oh, I don't know. Or you just don't know what's going on. But when you finally have a diagnosis that sticks, it's like, aha, I, yes, identify with this. This is, this is what it is. And with that knowledge comes a, a release, a freedom. Mm -hmm. They just say, now I understand. And now with this knowledge, I can move forward. I kind of feel in some parallels and very grossly um, knowing yourself in the shadow will can knowing aspects of yourself, aspects of your shadow can lead you to go, oh, this is why I act this way. This is why I re relate to these things. This is why I, I move to tears. This is why I get angry. This is why I get so, so excited. This is what gives me passion. This is some of these driving things. These are me and is subtly directed by shadow aspects. Once that's known, there's a lot more freedom. It's not rejection, it's a learning. Embracing. Well, that, that's, uh, that's exactly what uh, um, I think that your example is perfect. When I talk about the more consciousness that comes to the ego, the better the ego is able to deal with situations. The way you're talking about is exactly those situations, right? It's exactly those things. It's like the more I know about myself, wait a second. I know this, I didn't know this about myself before. Mm -hmm. You know, you even have friends who say, you really didn't know that about yourself? You're like, not really, because it's like, well, everybody notices it except you because it's the back of your head. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really good. Um, so Young's quote here about the shadow. The meeting with oneself is initially the meeting one's own shadow. So the first time the baby looks in the mirror and sees themselves, what they see is shadow. That's the first meeting you have. This is the first time that person has come out because you have not seen yourself. 
So when they put a mirror in front of you, the first thing you see is shadow. Who is that? Who is that? Who is that? You know, those babies will get very upset. Who is that? You know, and then they'll keep like pointing until they touch and like, oh, this is me. How is it? This is me? No, this is not me. Who is that? So that's the first time you meet. The shadow is a tight passage. This is what Young says. A narrow door whose painful construction no one is spared. Who goes down deep into a well, but one must learn to know oneself in order to know who one is. For what comes after the door is surprisingly enough, a boundless expanse full of unprecedented uncertainty with apparently no inside, no outside. No above, no below, no here, no there, no mine, no thine, no good, no bad. It is the world of water where all life floats in suspension, where the realm of the sympathetic system, the soul of everything living being begins, where I am indivisible, this and that, where I experience the other myself, and the other than myself experiences me. <clears throat> it is what we look for, it is what we chase all the time. It is what's chasing us. If you ask, what is, ch what is chasing you on oh, my shadow? What are you chasing, shadow? This is like dog chasing tail around the tree. Over and over again, they're chasing shadow. They don't know it's their tail. So you hope they don't catch tail because that's gonna hurt. With that, I wanna thank Dr. Lisa Hong, Dr. Eric Tomlinson for being with us today on another episode of the IFC's Individuation Podcast. This is our 77th episode, if you can believe that. I can't. Um, it seems like a lot. It feels like a lot. But uh, we will continue next week. We will talk more about the Institute for Complex uh, Conference, the Undismundis, the One World Theory, and the Inception of JAMP, Jungian Advanced Motor Processing. Um, I look forward to having uh, all of you next week and to get a little bit more in depth about what we're going to talk about, what our guests are going to talk about, um, just kind of give you an overview of all the things that um, we're going to present. So I wanted to thank Dr. Lisa Hong and Dr. Eric Tomlinson. And as we always sign off, I am not afraid. I am not afraid. I am not afraid. We are not afraid. And we are the Institute for Conflict. And this is the Individuation Podcast. We look forward to seeing everybody next week. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the IFC's Individuation Podcast. We hope you enjoyed hearing from Eric, Lisa, and Dr. Al Samurai. We'd also like to thank Eric and Lisa for taking the time to join us. We hope you enjoyed this chapter from Archetypal Symbols and Fairy Tales. 
And if you have any questions or are interested in attending our conference, make sure to reach out. Tuning in next time to the IFC's Individuation Podcast for another episode soon. the Institute of Conflict greatly appreciate all of you listeners. Please share the podcast with your friends and spread the word. If you would like to help expand our community, like us on Facebook and Instagram and give us a five-star review on iTunes. I'm Sonia Mahmood and you've just listened to the Institute of Conflict Individuation Podcast. We'll be back soon.